0: The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Jeremiah thirty-three, fourteen through 16. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Seated this morning. Good morning. Welcome to Sacred City Church. My name is Justin. This is your first time with us. Uh, Welcome to our first week of Advent. Um, We are anxiously anticipating the second coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. One thing that we've done is we're going to have um, kind of Advent devotionals for you each week. So we're going to hand these out at uh, at the end of the service today. Uh, one per family. And it's got a personal, it's got a, basically a personal devotion in there. It's got a devotional for your family. Um, it's got some commentary on, uh, right now it's a word from our worship leader, Joel, on O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's got some family activities. It's got some uh, personal reflection. It's just some good stuff to get you thinking, meditating, and reflecting on uh, Christ's advent. So we want this season, we want to shape you as a person this season. We want to, us to smell, look, act, taste differently than our culture uh, because this is a very special season for us. So uh, pick this up, do it with your family. I've also posted earlier in the week um, some resources for Advent, some ideas for fathers and mothers to lead your family into a worshipful Advent season uh, this year instead of the hustle and bustle that comes with um, this season most of the time. Um, I'm going to head, and, and that's, that's all I've got for right now. I just wanted to make that brief announcement. Um, actually, I do have one other. If you serve in the kids' ministry or would like to, there's a meeting today at 3 o'clock. 3.30. There's a meeting today at 3.30, actually. Uh, uh, yeah, but if you show up at 3 o'clock, you'll be on time, so, or early. It's good. So 3.30 today, we really need everyone out here, everyone to come, husbands and wives. It's going to be a very important meeting. But I'm going to go ahead and, and, and move forward and, and pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that's here with us today. We thank you for what you've done in the past, how you've entered into history and that you, were, you sent your son to be born as a baby in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. We celebrate that today. We remember that by looking back, but we also uh, longingly look forward, Father. We look forward to the second coming of Christ and Lord, I pray that as we live right now, I pray that the Holy Spirit, the, gospel, the Holy Spirit would move, the gospel would be proclaimed, that you would think through my mind and, and, and you would speak through my vocal cords today, that you would um, anoint the ears that listen today, that you would change hearts, that you would soften hearts, that you would um, let those that are sitting in darkness, let them see the light, let, let um, any doubt and unbelief in our minds, that it be removed today. We ask that your Holy Spirit would do a great work that all things would point to Jesus, that all, everything I say today wouldn't point back to us or wouldn't point back to this church, but it would point to a risen Savior, it would point to Jesus Christ. Father, we are weak, we are needy, we are poor, and we need your Holy Spirit, and we need you. Fill us today, in Jesus' name, amen. So typically, we go right through books of the Bible. We've been cruising and chugging on through, uh, the book of Genesis. We are 15 chapters into the book of Genesis, but now during the season of Advent, we are taking a pause from that series and we're going to be meditating and participating with churches all around the world in the Advent season. Literally churches have been doing this for, you know, at least 1600 years, um, celebrating the, the, the promise of the Messiah, the provision of the Messiah, and then the promise of his second coming. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks. And for me personally, this is my favorite time of the year. Uh, The season of Advent is a time of year where the church looks backward to God's promise of a Savior and its fulfillment of that promise in the birth of Jesus Christ. But it's also a time where we look forward to Christ's second coming. For the church, the season of Advent is one of the most poignant reminders of the times that we are currently, the times that we currently find ourselves in. These are in between times. Theologians say that we are living in the already, but not yet aspect of God's kingdom. See, Jesus has came to earth. He's lived the sinless, perfect life, and he died the death that a sinner deserved. But he also rose from the grave, conquering death and instituting a new kingdom of the new creation. But this kingdom will only be consummated or completed upon God's second coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ. New creation is like a seed that has been planted. It's growing and will continue to grow, but it will only be ready for harvest when Jesus splits the eastern sky and returns to judge the quick and the dead. So Advent reminds us That like the prophets, like Abram, like Adam, like Noah, we're still waiting. But as Christians, as Alex said in the video, who stand on the other side of the cross, we wait with hope. Now I know that we don't get too excited about that word hope. It's really become a watered down expression. It's... Most of the time that word has lost its potency with us. Hasn't it? Hope. Just what is hope? We say we hope for all kinds of things, right? I hope Justin doesn't preach for 80 minutes today, right? I hope Bama wins the national championship, right? I hope I don't get new socks for Christmas, right? Or I hope I do get new socks for Christmas, right? Right? I hope I get the job. I hope my kids don't keep sticking beans up their nose. Like we hope all, for all kinds of things, right? I hope I don't wind up in the emergency room this week, right? We use hope and the expression of hope for all kinds of different circumstances in our life. It seems like most of the time, hope is really just a wish, like a flip of the coin. We're hoping for heads. Well, I got a 50 50 chance. I got a 50 50 chance things will go well for me. My kid might end up in the arm. ER, my kid might not, right? I'm hoping things go well. They might not. Well, that's hope. Well, that's not the de- biblical definition of hope. The biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation. For the future. See, there's a confidence involved. It's not a flip of the coin. You're going to the boat and you hope, every, you know, all your money's on black and you hope you get it. Okay? That's a wish. Biblical hope is steadfast. Biblical hope is confident expectation for the future. To borrow an illustration from last week, hope, according to the Bible, is a steadfast anchor. When a sailor throws a solid anchor down and that solid anchor lands in a solid bedrock, he is kind of open holds, but his experience and training also teach him that it will hold. There's hope involved, but it's a confident hope. He's not throwing that anchor over and going, "Mm, it might might hold. He throws that thing off knowing it's going to hit bedrock and knowing it will hold him. So his hope isn't this wishy-washy 50% chance. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. It's a confident expectation of the future. And the thing about real hope is what real hope does is it changes the way you live today. Real hope has a way, this is crazy, real hope has a way of reaching back from the future into the reality of today and changing the way we live today. Real hope has a way of reaching back from the future into the reality of today and changing how we live today. So many things, listen, so many things that we believe to be unchangeable. Many of us walk day to day believing my emotions are unchangeable. I just woke up in a bad mood today. Can't do nothing about it. Deal with the wrath. Right? Maybe your spouse has learned how to manage the wrath. Oh, she just needs an extra shot of coffee today. Right? Or or whiskey or whatever it is. Right? Like maybe she... You know, I'll just tiptoe around her today and and I'll take care of the kids today and just, I'm just going to manage the wrath today. Many of the things, our affections, our desires, what we want, our emotions, many of the things, listen, that we believe are unchangeable. They're just up in the air. It's just how I woke up. It's just how I wired. It's just this situation happened and that's how I'm going to respond to it. Many of the things that we think are unchangeable can actually be changed by hope. Let me illustrate this for you. I heard this illustration from uh, Pastor Tim Keller from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City about a year or so ago. Two people get hired to take a nut and a washer and put it on the end of a bolt and screw it down tight. Okay, that's their job. It's a real tough job description. Okay, nut, washer, tighten it down. Okay, eight hours a day, five days a week, three weeks of vacation, No weekends, nine to five, boom. It's the job, okay? Two guys. Unbeknownst to them, one of them gets paid $35,000 a year to to do this job, okay? Cool. The other guy gets paid $300,000 a year to do the same job. After about a month, the guy making $35,000 has kind of hit the end, right? His life starts to feel meaningless. Oh, I gotta go to, I gotta go to work again. My job is so boring. I find no meaning in it. I was made for something more than this. His productivity starts to go down. His emotions start draining him. He starts getting frustrated with his wife at home. He starts moping around the house. He's hitting the snooze alarm three times. He's showing up one minute before it's time to punch in, right? He's at the clock, 4.59, boom, I'm out, right? Soon as, it, as soon as he can, he's punching out. But the other guy, he's still whistling while he works. The other guy, he's loving it. He still cannot believe that he gets to do such an easy job and be so well compensated for it. His outlook is positive. His life still has meaning. His productivity is still high. What's the difference? Both guys have a boring job. See, nobody's rescuing children from burning buildings here. Okay? Nut, washer, tighten it down. Both guys are doing the exact same thing. But here's the get catch one guy has hope. One guy, see, one guy, he has this hope that at the end of his two weeks, at the end of his month, he's going to be handsomely rewarded. Even though the job seems meaningless, he can't believe he gets to pay to do this. This is so easy. This job is so easy. I don't get... I mean, what am I going to get? Carpal tunnel in my wrist? This is great. I get to sit down on the job and work. I get to think about how I'm going to love my wife when I get home and the scriptures that I'm meditating on. I get to just really don't even have to use my brain. I just... Eight hours a day, show up, punch out, $300,000 a year, spend the rest of the time with my family, paid vacation. This is a phenomenal job. What more could a guy want? One guy's life feels meaningless. One guy's life still has meaning. See, hope. This guy was hoping In a paycheck, but hope has a way of reaching back from the future and impacting today. The one employee's hope for a great payday inspired him and changed him in his day to day. His hope for the future changed his emotions and his attitudes in his day to day. You hear that? Things that we believe are unchangeable. I can't change my attitude. I can't change my outlook on life. I can't change the way I emotionally respond to a boring job. It's boring. His hope for the future, his hope to be compensated well, changed his day-to-day. Same job, same circumstances, two different outlooks. See, this guy from the story, he placed his hope in a big paycheck. So this, this story brings up another point. Where do we place our hope? What things do we place our hope into? See, his hope for a big paycheck gave his life meaning and purpose. It didn't matter how crappy his job was. He was getting paid phenomenally for it. Right? So it changed his outlook and the way he lived his life. Can I ask you this morning? Where do you find your hope? Where do you place your hope? What do you place your hope for the future in? It's really common this time of year to place our hope in all kinds of things that were not meant to carry the weight of our hope. To stick with our anchor analogy, it's like trying to anchor a boat in a bedrock of jello. It doesn't matter how much we hope things are going to hold, the jello is just not going to hold. It's really common this time of year to place our hope in things like this the Christmas spirit, the promise of new clothes and a new identity that comes with it, or a new image that comes with it. The promise of new gadgets that are going to tell us how important we are and buzz our pockets and chirp at us, letting us know how big of a deal we are. So that we can spend our entire holiday season like this. With a room full of people, but we're like this. Right? I'm a I'm kind of a big deal. I've got Twitter followers. They need to know what I'm eating right now. <laughs> Listen, I, I think one of the reason this season is not hopeful but more hopeful for most of us is because of where we tend to place the anchor of our hope. Let's talk about the Christmas spirit. Look at this. Thanksgiving Day, it begins unless you're one of those Christmas crackheads who like play Christmas music all year round, right? We know there's some of you out there. You are weird, but we love you anyways, okay? But but most of us, it starts on Thanksgiving day, right? You wake up, Thanksgiving day, the newspaper, right? You're going through the Black Friday deals. You're going through all the sales deals. You're watching the Macy's Day, Thanksgiving day parade. You start playing Christmas music. You get one of the the, the the seasonal drinks at the coffee shop. Yeah, you know. And, 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 mm. Hmm. Right. You're going through the sale ads. You're circling. My mom used to do this for us as kids. She would give us the sale ads, and we'd go in and, and we'd circle. What we want. Come up here. You got to adjust something. We'd circle all the things that we want. This is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. No, you can't have that because I want this, right? Brothers and sisters. And then we, as adults, we go through and we circle all the things that we're going we're gonna to buy someone, right? I'm going to get them this. I'm going to get them that. I'm going to take care of this. I'm, oh, and we're, we're making our plans. And some of you crazy ladies, you know, like, okay, at 2 a.m. I can go here. And then at 3 a.m. this store opens and I can go here. And then at 4 a.m. I'll go here. And then at 5 a.m. I'll go here. And then I'll go home and go to bed, right? Crazy craziness so this this Christmas spirit is happening, or what we call it things are looking up for us right we we 've got this just oh jolly feeling, and then you make your way to a department spo- uh, to department store right, and what happens i mean if you're what you make wait. Uh, Keep going, keep going. Man, you're cramping my style, brother. All right. So then you make your way. All the stuff is going well. You got your peppermint mocha in your hand. Things are going well. You make your way to the department store and, and, and what happened? Maybe you get pepper sprayed over a toaster, right? You get pepper sprayed over a toaster. You get trampled by 600 women. Uh, like you're, you're, you're getting hit by carts, right? You're waiting in line for 45 minutes to an hour. Right, ooh, my Christmas spirit—it's—it's it's getting pressed on right here. My Christmas, it, my Christmas spirit, spirit has got a leak right now. Right, the lines are uber long. The sales clerks are cranky. Merry Christmas! What do you want? Right, you still can't find that one gift that your d- daughter is desperately wanting. You're starting to get panicky. Right, you're, you're scouring Craigslist and eBay and right you're becoming one of those people, one of those people, you know, like I heard toys, I heard toys, R- has R- got six of them. I heard they're releasing it tonight at midnight, right? You're one of those moms that are, that are getting caught up in it. Your Christmas spirit is beginning to wane, but you're still holding out hope, right? then Christmas Eve makes its way here and your Christmas spirit has been rejuvenated. It's Christmas Eve, it's time, it's here. You're feeling good about everything you've bought for your friends and family. Life is good. This is what it's all about. Maybe there's a little bit of snow on the ground it's not 60 degrees. I don't know, right? Christmas Eve is feeling good. You probably stay up late that night getting everything just right for Christmas morning. Maybe you're you know baking cookies for Santa or maybe you're doing Jesus' birthday cake or whatever you do, you know, like... You feel like this is it. You've you've nailed it this year. You've nailed it as a parent. You've nailed it as a spouse. They're going to love the gifts that you got them. You nailed it as a friend. Oh, I love Christmas. Then Christmas morning, after all the gifts have been exchanged, the sea of wrapping paper is, is parted through the living room. Something starts to gnaw at you. usually about 10 a.m. for me. It's over. Hmm. And then all of a sudden it gets a little more pronounced. About an hour later, your kids start fighting over each other's gifts, right? They'd counted under the tree and that one got one more than I did, right? Your daughter got the wrong color shirt. Come on, mom. I told you fuchsia. Okay. That's pink right there are something just she had her list and it was you know she had checked it twice and all that other stuff and, and she knew exactly what she wanted you didn't quite get it there's this gnawing sense what something's kind of being, being let down right dad puts his jeans on they don't fit they can't he can't button them right and then all of a sudden this this thought starts weighing down on you right mom oh, you start realizing all of the returns that you're going to have to do. And you start getting sweaty. And you realize the Starbucks won't help when you're standing in the grouchy line and you're arguing over if you get an in-store credit or if you should get your cash back, right? And there's just all this, uh, oh, post-Christmas letdown. And if we could fast forward even one month from that moment, it's even more pronounced. It's even more depressing. The new outfit that, was pro- that promised the new identity has now been washed a couple times and lost its flair. The video games that the kids had to have have now been beat and thrown to the bottom of the pile. You're 20 pounds overweight and another thousand bucks in debt. The hope of the Christmas spirit. Listen, I'm not saying that any of these things are necessarily bad in themselves, but what we hope for and where we place our hope has a way of shaping our souls. Shaping our souls. Our hope shapes our affections. It shapes our emotions and our desires. And then they shape our behaviors. What we hope for shapes our emotions, shapes our affections and our desires. And then that changes the way that we live. And if you place right now, this Christmas season, if you, if you place your hope in the Christmas spirit, like many of us want to do, it'll be like this. And then the post Christmas letdown, it's a shakable hope. It's the anchor of our hope thrown off into soft sand, into the the jello that just won't hold. You can place your hope in your kids during this season. I kind of alluded to it, right? You're going to get them all the the best gifts and you're going to make them so happy. And the exact opposite takes place. They're fighting over everything they didn't get, everything their sibling got. They're just... Their souls are being shaped to be consumers. But we, as Christians, uniquely as Christians, we have been given an unshakable hope, a hope that is eternal and never fades. But sadly, listen, sadly, many of us, many of us in this room, we have this unshakable hope, but we never appropriate that hope. We don't put it to use. We don't know how to use it. We don't know how to grab hold of this future hope that we've been given, meditate on it, dwell on it, let it shape our affections and our emotions so that it changes us today. We have to appropriate it. We have to put it to use. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's a long introduction, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, that's what we're going to do. So, and I'm going to, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do uh, a brief-ish survey, okay? We're going to, we're going to cruise through. I'm going to kind of hop off of some stuff that we've been talking about in Genesis because it's fresh in our minds. And then I'm going to, I'm going to breeze us through a, a, a big survey of the overarching narrative and, and story of scripture. So, If you remember from Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates everything perfect. He creates everything good, right, and perfect. He creates everything for his own purposes, for his own glory. He culminates his creative work by making man and woman in his own image to live for his glory and to enjoy being near him. Okay? Unfortunately, those good times last approximately one chapter, right? Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve choose to listen to the voice of the enemy, the serpent in the garden, and they willfully rebel against God's gracious rule. Now, in this moment, I'm going to tell you, this is why Christmas doesn't satisfy. This is why peppermint mocha satisfies for an hour or a half hour, and then you want another one, right? This is why eggnog, can I get an amen for eggnog? This is why eggnog is good, but then eggnog will make you sick, right? It will make, experience talking here, right? It will make you sick. Things are good, but they've been broken. So in this moment of God's story, things get dark like the song we sang today. His perfect and beautiful creation fractures under the curse caused by the sin of Adam. Things get scary here. Adam and Eve feel guilt and shame for the first time. Animals start attacking and killing each other. Creation goes wild and hurricanes and earthquakes. For the first time, thorns appear. Life will now be marked by trouble, pain, and difficulty. The good times will always be spotted with bad times. Pleasure will always be interrupted by pain. If you haven't suffered, you will. Ask anyone who's 50 years old or older. Nobody escapes this life without suffering. Nobody. The human soul now, because of Genesis 3, because of the fall, the human soul now will be marked by longing. Longing for more. It's never, we're never satisfied. Longing for the other. I'm with my wife, but I desire someone else. We always, you know, the grass is always greener. We are going to have restless souls. But in the midst of this chaos and curse, God, in his graciousness, also pronounces Some good news. It's not good advice. See, the gospel is different than good advice. Good news is that God Himself will save us. Good advice is how we can be saved. I hope you hear that. Good news is what God will do and has done in Jesus Christ to save us. Good advice is what you can do to be saved. Those are two opposing standards. Good news is the gospel that only Christianity offers. Good advice is every other religion on the planet. Pray the right prayers, say the right things, go the right places, do the right deeds. God will love you, accept you, and do whatever the afterlife holds for you. Good news, the gospel, is God himself will come down, enter into the human history as a man Named Jesus Christ, live the perfect life, die the death that you deserve, and he will purchase for himself a bride that he will save us. Huge difference. So he, in this moment, in Genesis 3, he gives Adam and Eve hope. He says to them, you've screwed it up. You've broken my covenant. You've sinned against me. You've rebelled. The earth has been cursed. You have been cursed. Relationships have been cursed. But one of your offspring someone coming through your line, he will crush the head of the serpent, the enemy. The one who deceived them will be crushed. This gives Adam and Eve a confident expectation for the future. They have hope. God has promised a deliverer. Fast forward. We're going to go fast. Fast forward a couple thousand years. And now Adam and Eve's offspring have multiplied and they've been spread across the face of the earth and the majority of them are dwelling in the Near East. But unfortunately, if we remember, unfortunately, the spark of hope has gone out. There's no one seeking God. There's no one holding on to the covenant promise, the, the, the Genesis 3, uh, I, will del- I will send a deliverer. There's no one holding on to that. They've all abandoned the God of the Bible. They've all walked away from him. And what does God do? The God of hope reaches down and grabs a demon-worshipping dude named Abram. He calls him. He speaks to him. He blesses him. And he sends him on a mission. The promise that was given to Adam and Eve has been rekindled. Hope remains. And we watch as this hope drastically impacts Abram's life. He has a confident expectation in the future. Even when his current circumstances look pretty bleak, he still holds on to this hope. There's something in the future that he's clinging to and that what he's clinging to reaches back into his today and affects the way that he lives today. He he gives his, his crazy nephew Lot the, the first pick of the land, Right? His hope for the future reaches back into today. We're going to see his hope for a promised son and his hope for all these things. He even ends up offering up his son on the altar. God spares his hand, but he's going to do it. Why? Because he has a hope for the future that reaches back into his today and changes it. But this hope, This hope isn't dependent upon Abram's perfect obedience. As we saw last week in Genesis 15, God comes down and makes a unilateral covenant with Abram. He walks between the pieces, if you remember. He says, let me be killed. Let me be like these animals that are cut apart. Let me be like them if I fail to fulfill this covenant. Abram, you stand over there. I'm swearing by myself. I'm making an oath by my name to do this. God promises and then makes a covenant with Abram saying, I will do what I told Adam and Eve. I will fulfill it. It's been 2000 years roughly, but what I told Adam and Eve is still good today. I will do it, Abram, and I'm going to use you. I will deliver. I will save. But he also tells Abram, if we remember last week, he tells Abram this, I'm making a covenant with you. Look at the stars. Your descendants are going to be like that. But here, let me tell you this. It's not going to go well. It's going to be rough. Your ancestors will actually spend over 400 years in Egyptian slavery, in bondage. They will be ruled over. But I'm still promising. Hold to this hope. I'll bring a deliverer. I'll promise I'll bring a deliverer. When God makes a promise and gives his oath, He will make it happen. But he tells Abram this so that he will have hope and his people will have hope during the exile. He's trying to teach Abram and he's trying to teach us, listen, I'm not fast. If I, as an American, this might be your greatest issue with God. He God says I don't do things like people want me to. In your mind, I am slow. His plan of redemption is going to take some time to unfold. <laughs> it's kind of I feel like that's just an understatement. God is never early. He always feels like he's late. But in reality, he's always right on time. But when we are going through difficulty, when we're going through a season of pain, when we're going through suffering, when we're walking through a a rebellious child leaving the house, uh, when we're walking through a, a, maybe, maybe a coldness in the home, when we're walking through a season of, of sickness or affliction, when we're going through re, uh, maybe relational animosity, maybe even spiritual attack, when we're going through these times, it, we, we just want to cry out, God, where are you? Why are you taking so long? Have you forgotten about me? God says to Abram, this is why I'm giving you my covenant promise. This is why I promised it and I gave an oath. I want your hope to be in my promise, not in your circumstances. Can you think about that? 400 years of Egyptian slavery. Thinking about, he he said he would bring a deliverer He said he was going to send someone. He said he's going to take care of this. So everything that God promised happened, right? Abram's descendants, they multiply, but they find themselves in Egyptian slavery. After 400 plus years, he delivers them and hope is ignited once again. And then if I could just speed through Israel, they come to God, they worship God, they rebel. It's just a cycle. It's a circle over and over and over. They, they, they want a king. They don't want a theocracy. They don't want to be ruled by God. They want a king. So they put a guy up in, in a king's place. That goes bad for them. After a bunch of kings, Israel, I mean, they're just in a bad spot, all right? We're going to pick up a, the story now about a 1,000 years after God's covenant with Abram. So this is roughly 3,000 years from Adam, roughly-ish, Okay? Go to Jeremiah 33. <clears throat> so the, the people right now in Jeremiah's day, they're about to be carried off to Babylon. They're about to be carried off in, in slavery again. And this is what God says. Jeremiah thirty-three fourteen. when you're there, say there. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Now stop. Look at me. If you are God's people, I'm just going to tell you, this is getting annoying. Okay? This is just getting annoying. Every time God speaks, he's like this, all right, the days are coming. I'm like, the days are, the days are coming. You promised it to Adam and Eve over 3,000 years ago. You promised it to Noah. You promised it to Abram over a thousand years. What do you mean the days are coming? Coming when? We've been waiting for three thousand years for a deliverer. We thought the deliverer was Moses when we got brought out of Egypt, and now you're saying now it's years after that, and you're saying it's still coming, still waiting. The days are coming, right? Can you imagine just? The, I mean, this God is speaking, so you can place your hope in that, but this would feel hopeless. Keep reading. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah in those days. And at that time, I will cause look, a righteous branch to spring up for David. Now, the, the picture here is David's dynasty has kind of been cut off. Okay. They're, 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 they're getting carried off into slavery. Uh, they had a national identity. They don't anymore. The, 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 divinic dynasty has kind of been cut off, but out of this stump will come a branch. Okay. In the song, the rod of Jesse. Okay. This, this branch is going to spring up out of this cut off stump. There, there will be redemption. There will be, even though it looks dark and it looks like everything's cut off and everything's dead. Something's going to spring up. Let's, let's keep reading this righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Now listen, a thousand years after Abram, and God is still promising a righteous branch. The rod of Jesse. He's still sticking. Can you believe this? He's st- God is still sticking to his story. Really? A deliverer on his way? Real soon, right? Coming? Okay. Thanks, God. Right? Oh, same story again, huh? Same story? Okay. All right. 3,000 years later. Abram's people have been in and out of slavery. They've had kings and their own national identity, but now they're being dragged off into Babylonian bondage again, and God sounds like a broken record. I know. I'm slow, but he's coming. I think if we believed that, I think if the people believed that, like that's what Abram believed. That's what Abram laid his hope into. That's what the anchor went down to. Okay. Things are rough right now. God promised he's sending him. He's coming. He's really slow. He's really slow. But he's coming. I'll put my hope in that. God sounds like a broken record. I know. I know. I'm slow but he's coming. Then we're going to jump forward about 5 to 600 years later. And an angel, it's a story that most of us know. An angel shows up to a little girl named Mary and he tells her can, Okay, now now maybe we can feel this. 35, 4000 years, something like that, right? From from the first promise They've been waiting and hoping and hoping, and they've had 400 years of silence. And God is, the message is always the same. Hey, be patient. He's coming. I'm sending him. The days are coming. And now, roughly 2,000 years ago, the angel shows up to this little girl named Mary and says, It's time. And God has chosen you, the promised redeemer, the righteous one, the rod of Jesse, Emmanuel, God with us, the holy one, the light of the world, the seed of Abram. His name will be Jesus, and it will be placed in your womb through the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus The one who was promised to Adam, to Noah, to Abram, to David, to Mary. That Jesus was the son of God. He proved his sonship by living the perfect life that no other human being on the planet has ever lived. He was perfect and holy, never committing any sin. But in an unusual fashion, Jesus did not crush the head of the serpent like we supposed he would through military conquest. He doesn't come in power. He doesn't rise to political prominence. He's born to a poor young girl named Mary. He lays his head in a stable with cattle. Becomes weak and lowly. And to borrow a phrase from the apostle, he proves his godness through an indestructible life. He takes the place of sinful mankind in front of God's tribunal. He stands before God in our place. And the righteous and holy God allows Jesus to take our place. Jesus, scripture says, absorbs the sin of Adam and Eve. He absorbs the sin of Abram. He absorbs our sin. He even absorbs the sins of his mother, Mary. Jesus takes their sin into himself and he dies the death that they all deserve. And Hebrews 6 goes on to tell us, because of this, those who place their hope in Christ have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that is unshakable. Now think about this for a moment. Think about where we are right now in history, the timeline of God, the story of God. That God is writing. He's the author and the finisher of this story. A story that began in the garden and will end in another city, in a new city, in a new garden. Think about where we are right now in our day and age. See, Abram placed his hope in this coming Redeemer 1,600 years before the promise was realized in Christ. And we sit here now, 2012, whatever, roughly 2,000 years after the birth of Christ and the death and resurrection of Christ. We have a special gift that Abram didn't have. We can look backward at God's promise, all the patience of his people, and that God fulfilled it. Let's just get this on the table. Yes, God is painfully slow. But he's true. He promised it. Abram didn't see it. Noah didn't see it. David didn't see it. The prophets didn't see it. They didn't see Jesus. They didn't get to see it. But we do. We have the unique gift of looking back through the annals of history and having a record of His coming, having a record of His life, having a record of His death, having a record of His resurrection, having a record of over 500 people that witnessed His his, uh, resurrected body. We have historical evidence. God takes... His precious, sweet time. But He did it. He did what He promised Adam and Abram. He came through. He is trustworthy. And and if you're like me, I want to repent over my weak affections toward that. I'm going to repent over over not being moved by that that the god of all eternity inhabited time and he fulfilled a covenant with a sinful people and he came and lived and died on our behalf and i go huh? father it is proof that i am fallen that my heart doesn't erupt and worship over that fact that I deserve nothing but death, judgment, and hell, and God in his graciousness gives me life and gives me his son. And Father, I pray during this season that our affections would be stirred, that we could see clearly and feel rightly where we live in between the times. Now listen, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. I want us to look back. I want us to look back through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and see that we can be forgiven. That's great news. Our sins, though they're like scarlet, they can be made white as snow. But listen, Christian people, there is more. The season is about more than just looking back at sweet little nine-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus. The season is about more than that. Revelation 21, 5 says this Jesus Christ resurrected, ruling the nations, Lord of lords, King of kings, in charge of everything. Every knee will bow at this Jesus. And this is what Jesus says in Revelation 21, 5 Behold, I am making all things new. Right now. Right now. Jesus is at work making all things new. Right now. His resurrection sowed a seed of eternity. It sowed a seed of new creation. And that's growing right now as we speak. Oh, what hope. Oh, what a glorious and confident Hope for the future. Listen, things may be dark. You might be going through the most difficult season of your life right now. This season might be stressful and depressing for you. You might feel like you are in slavery and bondage like the Hebrews, but God's promise is working itself out. It cannot be stopped. It wasn't a little wishy-washy hope that maybe if Abram comes through and all my prophets do the right thing, then maybe this Redeemer will come. It was a sure and steadfast promise. I will do it. I'll take my time, but I will do it. And he did it. And now he's saying to us, just like I did all that, I'm making all things new right now. God's promise is working itself out. He is making all things new. You might not be able to see it. But drop the anchor of your hope down into the steadfast rock of Christ. Not hope in the season not hope in your feelings, not hope in your family, not hope in more stuff, hope in Christ. He was foretold. He was prophesied. He was promised. He came. He conquered. He died. He rose from the dead. And as sure, as sure as he came the first time, he is coming again. And right now, he stands at the right hand of God, making all things new. Look around you. God is still doing what he said he would do. 5,500 years, something like that. 4,500 years, I don't know, from when he promised Abram. He's still working. He's still faithful. He's still fulfilling. God is doing what he said he would do. In a few weeks, two weeks, actually, in two weeks, we'll be baptizing a few of you. If you desire to be baptized, start the process, get the book from the the, uh, box office out there, sign up on the city, start filling that process out. You need a little bit of time to do it. God is making all things new. God is at work. Jesus Christ has promised it. And every time we see a soul changed, every time we see a marriage restored, it's proof that He's at work. It's a glimpse into the kingdom. He's making all things new. Many of you, He's been rejuvenating your marriage. He's been awakening your affections for Christ. Many of you have sat in churches for 20 years and your heart has grown cold to the gospel. And he's been awakening these new desires in you again. You're you're dusting off that Bible, right? You're going searching for it to try to find where it used to be. He's awakening these new affections in you. He's softening your hearts. He's shifting your parenting. He's deepening your relationships. He's sending you out on mission. All through the power of the gospel. All because Jesus Christ was born. He lived. He died. And he rose again. And that resurrection. That resurrection. Began. New creation. And that seed that's been sown, is it's growing. It's growing. It's happening. He's making all things new. This is Christian hope. It isn't a wish. It's not a 50-50 chance. It's as sure as the birth of the God-man, Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago. And it's my prayer today that you would draw strength from that hope and it would change the way you live today, that you could patiently say to God, you're slow, but I know you're doing it. You're making all things new. The same covenant you made with Abram, I'm a part of that. You've sent your Redeemer. He's redeemed me. He's making me into new creation. He's forming me in the image of His Son. I'm being made new. I'm being made into His likeness. It's slow. It's painful. Please come quickly, Lord. But you're doing it. Because we can look back. This is a thrill to me. Because we can look back over thousands of years of history. And we can look forward to what God is still doing we can be enabled to see this season differently. Our culture doesn't have that type of vision. We have an eternal vision. Our vision inspires us and informs us to live differently today. The Christmas spirit will let you down. Your friends and family will get on your last nerve. The clothes will wear out. The food will make you fat. Only Christ can satisfy your soul. He's the only one big enough and good enough to hold your hope. St. Augustine said Our hearts and our souls are restless until they rest in Him. Our souls are restless until they rest in Him. Come to Christ today. Receive the rest. Place your hope in him today. He's the only one who will never let you down. He's the only one who can be the anchor of your soul. Father, I thank you for your promise that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I thank you for the future aspects of that promise that in us today, as we live between the times, you're making us new. I pray that this would be a, this would be the greatest advent of our lives because it's the deepest advent of our lives. It's the, the, the most meaningful advent that we spend this season not chasing deals and running ragged and partying ourselves into the ground. But Father, we spend this season meditating on your greatness, on your graciousness, on your goodness, on your glory that we would spend this season being shaped by you we would place the great hope of our lives, not in future riches, not in things going well for us. We would place our hope in the steadfast anchor and bedrock of Christ. That we are in need of a savior. And Christ is that savior. Father, I pray that we would turn from our idols of self-salvation, our ideas of how we can get to God and how we can earn his approval and how we can get his attention and how we could be good enough to get into heaven, that we would turn from those idolatries and that false religion and we would embrace the one who was perfect on our behalf. We would embrace the one who was perfect on our behalf but still died as a substitute in our place. Let that settle in our soul today as we partake of the covenant meal together, Father. Let this be food for our souls. Let us drink deeply from the cup of the new covenant. Let our souls be satisfied. In Jesus' name, amen.